<laughs> you know, some people love change. How many of you really do like change? You look for it. Yeah, I thought so. You entrepreneurial kind of people, you love change. I think. I think that's probably generally true. Um, how many of you don't like change? Mm, yeah. I think some, some people really do enjoy it. Some don't. You, you, know, you, wanna know, you know, want to know something that's true? Here's something that's true. It's going to happen to you whether you like it or not. Change is just a reality. So the question is, is it good change or bad change in our lives? The vision statement for the town church is we want to see the gospel transform everything. We believe change is actually happening, and we want to see the gospel be the power, the motivation, the source of that change. So as we are moving into this new year, we're going to be looking at, we're doing this series called Transformation. We're going to be looking at some different areas where we want to see the gospel transform things. And to start us off, we began last week with an introduction that I thought was going to be a one-week deal and is probably going to turn into a three-week deal. So we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. That's going to be our text again for today and then again next week. We started this last week. We're going to read the first couple of verses together, and then I'm going to finish that text. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we read God's Word this morning. Again, this is from 2 Timothy 3. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words that were penned long ago by the Apostle Paul to his young friend Timothy, who was a pastor in a situation where, like in most situations, there was a lot of difficulty and he was needing encouragement. We need that same encouragement. We need for your Holy Spirit to open us up. Whether we believe these things we've been singing and praying and reading, whether we question them or whether we may not believe this at all, we ask for you to be the one who opens up our hearts and our minds, that we'd be vulnerable before you and that you would pour life into us, challenge us, change us, transform us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You may be seated. So we started last week. This big idea for the introduction in light of this passage is a life transformed by the gospel is equipped for good works. 
So life that's going to be transformed is actually going to be equipped for good works, the good works that God has prepared for us. So how does transformation happen? Well, we don't fully know. This is a work of God, so we can't fully know the mind of God. But Paul does lay out some very key aspects, important aspects, as he's writing to his young friend. And so we did this outline last week, and we said transformation, God brings about transformation as we learn from examples as we endure, as we inhale, and as we trust. So we looked at this learn from examples last week. Today we're going to look at this, endure resistance. Transformation happens as we are enduring resistance. So enduring resistance can sound daunting. It can sound like such a drudgery, like that's the worst thing, like endure resistance. That's the last thing that I want somebody telling me if they're trying to encourage me towards change. So let's, let's be honest that, you know, life is not always Disney World. Right? It's not always fun. But I would say that this aspect of transformation is real, and it is richer than a superficial life of ease. So, with that, it's both sobering but can be very satisfying, which means there are challenges to be expected and there are opportunities to be enjoyed as we face the realities of life. And to help us process and drill into this idea of enduring resistance, we're going to look at some things about resistance. So, I'm going to list five things up there and then we're going to walk through this as we as we talk today. We're going to look at the nature of resistance, the good from resistance, the complexity in resistance, grief over resistance, and then the hope beyond resistance. So we're going to hit each of these as we walk through. So this idea of the nature of resistance. Uh, For starters, Paul makes it very clear in his letter And then so many other times if you just read his writings, but then also he makes it very clear what Jesus has already made clear. If you associate with Jesus, if you follow Jesus, the world is going to hate and persecute you. That's just what he says is going to be a reality. If you follow him, there's going to be this thing he calls persecution. In other words, what I'm I'm calling that, we are going to face resistance. I'm calling this persecution, this suffering, I want to generalize it a little bit more because it's more than just persecution. It's a resistance to God's way. So what is supposed to be our response? He says endure and endure in love. Plenty of places in Scripture that talk about enduring in love. Jesus says in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard that, but I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. What is that? It's enduring even with your enemy. It's it's enduring with love. So this does not mean that we go looking for people to hate us. I think there are some that actually like enjoy the fact that others hate them. They thrive on this. We're not supposed to like the fact, but we're also not supposed to, we're not supposed to be surprised by the fact that resistance does come. If we are hated, if we're mocked, if we're dismissed, whatever it's going to be, because you actually are following Jesus, if you're actually following Jesus, right? Not because you're a jerk, not because you're a wrongdoer, not because you break the law, right? If, if, I'm, if I get pulled over by a police officer, 
for speeding, and I'm a Christian and he's not, I can't count that as persecution for, because I'm a Jesus follower. No, it's because you're a freaking lawbreaker, right? You're a, wrong, you're a wrongdoer. You can't, you can't count it when people just dislike you because of your preferences, your political opinions, or your approaches to life. There's lots of, lots of reasons people may not like you or like me that have nothing to do with Jesus. So let's don't count those things. This is talking about if you're hated and you're persecuted for his name's sake, for his way of life, right? And if that's the case, he says you can actually take comfort because something bigger is going on. But not all resistance, hardship is this persecution. As I mentioned a minute ago, there is just normal suffering. There's normal difficulty in life and in relationships. Why is that the case? Because things in life don't always work as they should. There is something misaligned in the world. Would we not all agree with that, hopefully? The biblical story says this is the result of our resistance towards the one who made us. This is the consequence. This has been the human story for a very, very, very long time, and it's what the ancient rebellion story from the beginning of the Bible is that ancient rebellion story, it, it tells us about this. So the Adam and Eve thing, right, of saying, I want to be God, I don't want you being God. And the result of that was, part of it, in Genesis chapter 3, we read this. To Adam, God said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Here's the result. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And it goes on and describes the consequences of this rebellion. Our resistance to God has created a break in the way things should be, a strain on the fabric of reality and of relationships, not only with God, but among us, right? And within our relationship with the world at large, the cosmos. This, this is the nature of resistance, right? This is the reality of it, and this is the root. This is where it all originated. So what do we do with this? Or better yet, what does God do with this? The last part of Paul's reminder to Timothy about you have followed me, you've learned from my example, talks about, this is in verse 10, his steadfastness. Paul says, you, you see my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, areas where he had seen Paul work, which persecutions I endured. You've seen this, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus, they're going to be persecuted. So as Paul's describing this, the hardship and the resistance he faced, he gives the impression here, and he explicitly states it in other places, in other letters, that enduring these has a good purpose for us. Enduring this resistance actually has a good purpose. God's transformation of us happens as we walk through hard things. I don't like that. Like, if anybody can find a, a way around this one, please let me know. I've been looking for a long time. I'm still holding out hope. Maybe, maybe there's a way that you can actually be changed and transformed without going through hardship, but it just seems to be the way that it is. 
It's the way God works. Transformation involves enduring resistance to such transformation. There's a bit of a paradox there. It's kind of like, I don't know if any of you have struggled with drugs or alcohol or something like that, but it's kind of like an alcoholic, right? How does an alcoholic grow stronger in their recovery by resisting the temptation to drink alcohol? It's the very thing that's trying to destroy you. It's that resistance that's coming against you when you endure that you actually grow in that particular area. Our transformation comes not as we fight or even defeat those who may persecute us or bring suffering to us. It is through enduring and not fighting with the same weapons that are wielded against us. This is what endurance looks like. It's, it's what some would call the cruciform life. I don't know if you've heard this terminology. Or the way of the cross. We fight by literally or metaphorically turning the other cheek. We fight by absorbing the punch. Meaning refusing to return hate and judgment with hate and judgment. Right? Refusing to put ourselves before others even our enemies. It's it's a refusal of this. This is the endurance that Paul is talking about. This God uses to produce character and to pour into us His love. This is, for whatever reason, this is the way that He is working to bring about change, transformation. Paul mentions this lots of other places, but one is in Romans chapter 5, his letter to the Romans. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Okay, he doesn't say you rejoice because of it right? He says, you rejoice in it. Rejoice in our sufferings, knowing why would you say such a ridiculous thing, Paul, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the way God seems to work throughout history in our own lives the biblical story, even, this, this resistance has been used as a tool in God's hands not to tear us apart, which it naturally would do. The resistance naturally wants to rip you to shreds and to turn you into nothing. But in God's hands, He does the very opposite. God is the ultimate judo master, jujitsu master. I had to text... Um, Robert, I don't know if you're listening today, Robert. I had to text Robert because Robert's a judo master, becoming a judo master. And like, what is judo? What is it about? And in one way, he, he had some very entertaining ways to describe judo, which you can go and ask him. But one way to think about it is you're turning someone's power against them. God is able to turn the power of destruction in on itself, against it and actually use it for something better. The hate or the indifference, the the temptations, the forces that come against us, and even that come from within us, that on their own would deconstruct us, can be used by God to reconstruct us. He calls it transformation and purification. It's a challenge to us to work for something better. Pain, suffering, Hardship have been a great catalyst for many goods that have come into our world. 
And I'm guessing it's even as much as we may not want to admit it, maybe have even been a catalyst for good coming into our own lives. Certainly been a case throughout history. It, it is true, honestly, it's true for those who associate with Jesus. It's also even true for those that may not associate with Jesus. I've seen it. Like, you can, like, look at some of the things that have come out of horrible things, out of horrible situations. Look at some of the art that's come out, some of the, some of the songs. I don't know if you're familiar with Eric Clapton's um, Tears in Heaven. Actually, he has a couple of songs that he wrote after the death of his, like, four or five-year-old. Something horrible, right? It's beautiful art that can come out of this and out of our own lives when we suffer hardship. So our youngest, Katie, who, oh gosh, I can't do this, darn it, oh shoot, I wasn't going to get emotional, I was going to just get through this without, uh, so she's done gymnastics since she was in the womb, (laughs) Uh, according to Fran, um, and then officially started when she was a little bit older than that, and when she was... uh, (laughs) Uh, yeah, when she was in, darn it, ah, when she was in eighth grade, she broke her back, L5 parts fracture, not like paralyzed, she wasn't in a wheelchair, uh, but it was, it was serious enough that it caused her to have to step away, and she went through, um, a lot, And uh, by the grace of God, she's actually able to, to come back to it at the end of her high school career. And she's an awesome coach now, too. <clears throat> she made this comment last week, two weeks ago, that she... Uh, was actually kind of glad that she experienced what she experienced because as she was looking at some of uh, the things that have happened with her teammates that have gone on and you know she wanted to do the collegiate track and that got um, wasn't able to do that but her friends some of them were able to she's she reflects back on her life and where she is now as compared to where some others are she's grateful for that heartache and that pain. God uses what we think is our end for new beginnings. All right, I'm done with that. Goodness gracious, sorry. No, I'm not sorry. You understand. So then moving into this, even as God can bring these good things, um, there's a deep complexity to resistance. And I want to I think about it. So there, there's a lot more to what I'm, than what I'm going to describe. But I've been trying to, I've been sitting in this for the last couple of weeks. I see the complexity when it comes to this resistance. We see resistance when it, when it comes externally when it comes to our motives, and then when it comes to even supporting us. And hopefully it'll make sense as we walk through it. There are times that we may see the persecution come from an enemy outside of us 
who is challenging what we believe to be good and right and true about who God is and about his way. And you, you see it maybe as being even harmful to the world around us. This may mean endurance for us looks like what? It could look like sting, standing against abuses of power. It could be standing for the vulnerable and the oppressed and the least of these. It could be standing for life, be it the life of the youngest and the smallest of us, the life of the sick or the elderly or the disabled, the life of, of, of those that are in prison, the life of those who you may actually, I may actually disagree with their life choices, but it could be standing on their behalf, right? It could be standing in for what Jesus calls the weightier matters of the law. He talks about this in Matthew 23 of justice and mercy and faithfulness. Standing in this way may bring, when you do this, it may bring discomfort, right? It's not always roses when you stand in the gap. It can bring discomfort and disfavor. It can even bring suffering. Arrows can come from all sides. It can come from the left. It can come from the right. And it can come from those that are politically right in the middle, right? If you're not getting hit from all sides, I'd question, is it a Jesus thing or is it your political opinion, right? This kind of standing possible suffering is one way that we endure resistance, okay? That's one way. That's kind of the obvious way. But enduring resistance is not just that we stand for truth or righteousness or justice and mercy and faithfulness. It's also how and why we stand. The, the inclination to do all of this stuff, like to stand for the truth from a position or a motivation of superiority and judgment, of bitterness and fear and hate, that too is a resistance to God's way of faithfulness and patience and love and steadfastness. This is something more internal. Those, that is also a resistance to God's way. Resistance to God's life comes from all sides and levels. It can be external circumstances. It can be internal motivations. Outside of us, it can be deeper inside of us. It can be obvious, but it can also be very subtle and subversive. Even if you endure this gauntlet unscathed, right, of the external, but then you're also pure in your motives, like even if you do that, which I'm questioning is even possible, but let's say you do, then there's another monster waiting at the door with inside of you. This one attacks how? How does this other monster attack? It resists God by supporting you. This is another resistance. This is where it gets a lot more complicated. And, and maybe morally deceptive. It supports your beliefs and your actions, your teaching and your conduct by feeding your ego and your insecurity. Okay, it, it, it looks like this. It's telling you a couple of things. One could be it's telling you how shamed you should feel for not having stood more firm. You should have stood harder. You should have spoken harder. You, you should have done more. You should have done better. You should have suffered more. That's one voice that's an antichrist voice within you. The other is the opposite, and it's flattering you. It's feeding your self-rightness, telling you how great you did, how much more God likes you, because unlike so many others, right, you stood firm. What a faithful witness you are, right? Th th this way 
how much, how much better you are than other people, how much, more, how much more humble you really are than the rest, <laughs> right? I mean, this insidious voice of shame or flattery is a resistance to God's way of life, in part because it pushes you to focus your attention on who? Me. Either way, I'm focused on me, yourself, because it's self-condemnation or self-exaltation. Either way, who's the focus? Me. And in this, the voice of resistance seduces our desire to be respected, to be approved, to be honored, to be elevated. We know the way of Jesus opposes this. Like, when I say it like this, we even laugh about it. We know this opposes Jesus. It opposes his offer of freedom from pride's seduction. But the seduction can still be so seductive and so subtle and so persistent and complicated. All right, how? How does this work itself out? Okay, let's just take for an example work. Here's one way to think through this. Let's say, is this making any sense? Okay. Uh, what would I do if you said no? <laughs> I know this is a little convoluted. I'm still trying to work it out in my own head, all right? Let's say you, you want to do a, your job well. You want to do a good job. You want to do a good job. And you want to advance in your career, your occupation. So naturally, you're going to look for ways to get ahead, all right? I mean, this is just the normal way you do things. As opportunities arise to do your good work, where maybe somebody's going to notice it, you, of course, you're going to jump on it with hopes that maybe somebody's going to give you a little recognition that maybe leads to a little more respect in your place of work or in your field, right? Maybe a little praise. May, heck, you, you may even get a promotion out of it. Is there anything wrong with wanting to do a good job? I don't, I don't think, I'm questioning it as I'm thinking through this, but no, I don't think so. Is there anything wrong with wanting to advance in your career? I don't, I don't think so. Like, fundamentally, no. But if I, as I step back and I'm recognizing how easy it is to be wooed by the anti-gospel mindset with this. Because we're talking about being transformed by the gospel, right? Being transformed by the gospel is supposed to free us from doing our work out of a need for praise or personal gain. This is what the gospel offers to us. The gospel says in Jesus, we have God's favor, we have his affection, and we have some form of greater riches both now and forevermore than we're ever going to acquire with the things that we do. This, this is what it offers to us. How easy it is to not endure and instead be sucked into this and seduced by this resistance. How easy it is. Holy cow, how easy it is. But even this can get even more complicated and turn into even a more subversive attack. Because let's say you actually do your work good as unto the Lord. Say you're a follower of Jesus and you do it as unto the Lord and not for recognition. Or, or even, you even resist recognition when people want to give it to you. You say, I, you know, I don't, I don't even need it. Let's say you do that. What is that? Success. Good job, right? You, you've stood fast. You have endured. You have endured, which you feel good about. And should you feel good about it? Yes, it's okay. I'm going to tell you. It's okay to feel good about that. You should. But after then appropriate celebration and gratitude, thank you, Lord, 
you start to meditate on your goodness. Okay, this is my story. Maybe it's not your story. The idea even creeps in that maybe you've, you know what, maybe, maybe I have earned a little something, a little reward. Maybe I deserve a little favor from God or from other people. Now in my elevated righteousness, okay, let's just call it what it is, I look around in justifiable judgment and maybe a little disgust at all of those who I know are working for self-glory and I know they're working for self-gain and they all seem so fake compared to my authenticity. Now in my judgment, my attention has turned from God's goodness to my goodness and all of your wrongs. What does that do to me? What does that do to me as a, as a human being? It begins to erode my patience and my love. And it, in its place, I see impatience and irritation. Maybe a little hate begin to grow. It starts small. It's a seed. That seed grows like a weed, and it grows fast. And I, start, I started well with endurance, right? But the resistance caught me on the backside. Celebrate it. Man, I did so good. And the next thing I know, I'm in the ditch. And I have self-righteously aligned my, my, my spirit with the spirit of the Antichrist, which leads to an anti-gospel deformation. Can you identify at all? Maybe, maybe not. That's okay. That's okay if you can't. If you can, here's where I am. Now what? How does gospel transformation happen in this convoluted, chaotic water? How does, how does gospel transformation happen in this muck? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this freaking body of death? Someone once said. What's the answer to this? A life transformed by the... There's an answer, okay? There's an answer. A life transformed by the gospel does three things. First, it humbly recognizes the unrelenting complexity of resistance. The unrelenting complexity of resistance. In, in what way? There are forces and principalities and powers outside of us that want to rule us and destroy us and keep us from God and his better life. I don't understand it. I can't see it, but I've experienced it, and it's a reality. There are forces that want your destruction. Let's just acknowledge it. And that may be a hard, weird one to acknowledge, but it just acknowledge something else is happening, right? Maybe start there. But then also, it recognizes where we have been led astray by our own desires, where the resistance to God is not just out there. It's in me. It's not just all the bad out there. Those bad conservatives or those bad liberals are coming against me. No, no, no. It's in me. Acknowledging it. So that two... We then unapologetically own it and confess it 
at whatever stage that we've given in, right? Maybe we gave in at the beginning. Maybe we got caught on the back end. Whatever stage, not only acknowledge it, but own that we've given in and repent. Own that we've aligned ourselves with the resistance. We've been our own worst enemy. And then this third one of return. This is the deeper repentance. Return back to the true gospel story and a better way. Here is where the always accessible grace of God is so absolutely profound because even in our failures to endure the resistance, we can endure by returning to Him. I failed to resist. I failed to endure. Are you done? No. You've just begun. You endure by what? Knowing you haven't endured and owning that and coming back to Him, returning to Him. At every return, the gospel can reflood you you get to remember your baptism, that you have been washed, and again, allow the gospel to do its work of transformation that humbles us and equips us for what? For every good work. All right, this complexity can be absolutely exhausting. It's complex, right? Absolutely complex. This complexity can be exhausting to want things to be different. I want things to be different. Is that bad that I want things to be different? No, it's not. It's, it's a good thing to want things to be different. Uh, note that, that Paul doesn't say that he wants or he solicits the resistance and suffering. He doesn't have some sadistic fetish for pain. I don't think he does. I do wonder sometimes with some of the things that he says. I don't, but I don't think at a deeper level, I don't think he actually likes the pain. It helps, that helps me to remember this. Endurance does not mean that we have to look for the hardship. Because I think you can have a hyper-spiritual mindset that says, I've got to go look for hardship. If hardship isn't coming my way, then something's wrong. Well, that could be true, but that may also not be true. Therefore, it is okay to experience and enjoy and even desire times of rest and peace. It's really okay. Paul is in a really tough place when he writes this letter. He's been abandoned by a lot of his friends. He's gone through a lot of pain and suffering, physically, circumstantially, emotionally, relationally. And as hard as it was for him, he knew God was present in all of that stuff, making life new and different and transforming that would one day lead to the end of resistance. He knew, he believed that was actually true. So it's good for us to desire that day when the resistance is done away with, and to enjoy the rest and the reprieve when he does give it to you, when he gives you glimpses. It's really okay to enjoy that. Why do I say that? Because God says this. So in Paul's first letter to Timothy, he said, he said this. He's talking about praying. He said, pray. He talks about different people praying. He says, pray that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It's good not only to want it, it's good to pray for it. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all people to find that rest. And he says this in in 1 Thessalonians he says, and to aspire, he was, this is a good thing for us, to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Those are good things. 
Therefore, I would say it's okay, it's even right to grieve over the resistance, to grieve when you're facing the hardship and the pain that we face and that others face. Grieve is good. Grieve. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And then enjoy when you get rest. When your baby actually sleeps through the night and you get to sleep, enjoy it. And then long for rescue for the better day, which leads us to this last thing, hope beyond resistance. All this work of transformation matters now and is leading towards something greater, a fuller day, where God will not just partially transform particular areas of life, but He will transform everything. The gospel will transform everything. This is our hope beyond resistance. Paul, again, in Romans 8, in his letter to the Romans, he says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time is not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits and eagerly, eagerly longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And not only the creation, we ourselves who have the first fruits, we're getting it, we're starting it, we get to see a little bit, the first fruits of the Spirit, what do we do? We groan. We grieve. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then he comes to the end of that chapter and he says, what then shall you say to these things? If God's for you, who can be against you? Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? How will he not also with him graciously give you all things? The hope of glory, where transformation is complete. Please, 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 if you don't hear anything else that we said, hear this. That hope is not based on us flawlessly enduring resistance and standing firm. The hope is solely based on another who perfectly endured, and who overcame every resistance against God's good way. How? Jesus endured resistance by standing firm, yet not fighting for his position, not fighting for his identity, not fighting for his purpose. He did not fight for his way, and yet he stood firm. And he stood firm until his resistors and his persecutors couldn't stand it anymore, so they physically attacked him and they put him to death. And he stood firm. But even in that, he quietly endured death and he waited for his father to raise him out the other side. In that, God transformed even his death as the way of life. What? Upside down transformed his death into the way of life so that in him, if we trust his endurance, please listen, if you are trusting your own endurance right now, Jesus offers you something better, his endurance. If you trust his endurance for you, we are transferred from death into life and we are transformed into sons and daughters of God. Our transformation wholly and in part does not rest one iota on our successful endurance for him, but fully on his endurance for us 
and his endurance with us. Because of this, we have a confident hope that he who began a good work in you, he will complete it. Father, we need to hear this. Lord, it's so easy to, if we've heard these kind of stories for so long, to listen to them and pass by and not allow them to sink into our hearts and into our minds and into our hands and our feet in the way that we live life. We need gospel transformation. We need to know, Lord Jesus, your endurance on our behalf. Please, Lord, show us this. We believe. Help our unbelief. We ask in your name, amen.